actually, would it be possible for you to uh, record like just like an intro for us? You ready? You ready? Are you recording? Huber, the voice of Hie, and you are listening to the Spirit Hunters. Spirit Gun. Not mine. I should say Darkness Flame. Check us and our new friends out at greenlitpodcast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of the Spirit Hunters, known in as many roles as the great and mighty Emperor Pilaf, Android 17, and of course, the one known Hie. We have uh, with us Chuck Huber. Did you want to ask the uh, first question, Joe? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, everyone knows you from your most famous roles. Uh, as you know, our show is pretty devoted to Yu Hakusho and Yoshihiro Tagashi's work, and therefore, most people know you through Hie and Android 17. But um, something that's not talked often about is, uh, you know, your life before voice acting. Like, uh, where were you born and uh, how would you describe sort of like growing up in your childhood? I grew up in, uh, I was born in Chicago and uh, grew up in Chicago and north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in a little town called Mequon. Honestly enough, there was another, there's another guy from Mequon named John Ridley, who won the Academy Award for uh, 12 Years a Slave, writing the screenplay. And later on in life, he was directing a show on ABC called American Crime. And then I ended up auditioning for it and I got on season two of it. And, uh, and I was like, you're from Mequon. And he was like, yeah, I'm from Mequon. And I was so am I. And he was like, oh, you should have started with that. You would have got the part right away. I was like... <laughs> Oh, that's very nice of you. But yeah, I grew up in a tiny, like a tiny little town. It was, I thought I was poor growing up. We, well, we were poor, uh, but the house I grew up in, we, you know, we thought it was just our house. We loved it, but it was on Lake Michigan. It's now like a million dollar house. So I grew up in like a million dollar house, but we thought we were poor. I mean, we had to eat out of our gardens and go, uh, you know, fishing for, for fish and hunting for, for food, uh, have to but if we were hungry we had to kill things that's kind of mm-hmm. old. one of those uh, the one of the, the hunting families right a little hunting a little fishing a little gardening all that sort of stuff and then you know the 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 family i got i got three, three and a sister and two stepbrothers and a stepsister and uh doing doing funny voices i always say my first acting gig was uh a voiceover gig because this is back in the day when there was one telephone in a house and it had a giant cord attached to the wall and it was in the kitchen. And if bang during dinner, it was, it was, uh, it was a mad dash to get to the phone and be like, thank you for calling pizza shop. Would you like a pizza? And so we, you know, um, <laughs> goof around. that's classic. I do the same thing. Like right now on my cell phone, I get like people asking, I'm like, uh, sorry, sir, this is a pizza hut. Oh dear lord. That's terrible. And jerky boys, you know, if you think about it, jerky boys, if you don't know jerky boys, you should look them up. They're like that that YouTube before there was YouTube. It was like YouTube, but people passed it around on uh little audio cassettes and you'd have to get somebody with a double audio cassette to record it for you. Cuz you couldn't buy them, you just had to get them. And they they all these sort of prank uh phone recorded all of them and uh that was like uh, early uh early viral video uh, audio from, from 
in the day. Uh, Wait, but yeah, I grew up. I grew up in uh, Chicago and Wisconsin. Then seventh grade, moved to to Texas, and my mom got remarried and started school here in Texas, uh, learning all the Texas ways. Now I I fully consider myself a, a Chicago Texan. I guess if that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> I grew, you know, and then uh, I, I did the theater in in high school and and all the. the sort of stuff you do as an actor in, in high school. And then back to Chicago to DePaul University for my BFA in acting. They have a conservatory acting program there, the Goodman School of Drama. And uh, yeah, really, really, really good teachers and professors and uh, ended up quitting college and starting to act on Chicago stages and, and whatnot. And uh and just uh, started doing my career in the, in Chicago. I gotcha. Um, one of the things you mentioned in an interview that uh, that when you were when your brothers were making Empire Strikes Back on High Eight and didn't cast you, were you sort of was that sort of acting all sort of some, like a little thing to spite them, sort of a, a dream thing? <laughs> you know, I used to say that 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 because uh, I, I took a picture, uh, had a photographer, mini photographer, little little fourth for whatever i took a picture when they left me there and went to film the the dagobah scene uh and i took a picture and i I had it in my i think i still have it in a photo book somewhere and it was like if i can't film a whole film i'm gonna take one picture of a film and i took this really sort of artsy picture of of the coming through the 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 front door of my house in uh, up in mequon and uh it's like I'm gonna show you. I'll end up being the actor, and sure enough, I did. I ended up the actor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> My brother is he sells uh, oil oil field equipment. And he he went to jail for dealing cocaine. He's he's quite a scumbag, actually. Now that I think about it, <laughs> Oof. I was not expecting that. Oh, he's really a horrible human being. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> You worship your older brother, and then you realize that he's uh, he's just kind of a, a scumbag, and you're like, oh yeah, that's why he's a felon. <laughs> oh my god! As an older brother, I was uh, I was unprepared for this. Yeah, you're probably a good older brother. This one was the he's still the worst older brother. He's still trying to he's still sort of a horrible human being. Him and my sister both. <laughs> oh, I, I I I can't confirm nor deny if I'm the good older brother or not. Interesting. Bet um, you are a good older brother. I'm just guessing that. <laughs> so a question, um, you know, given your uh, like given the Star Wars uh, high eight film and the uh, your later work, much later work on that uh, Star Trek, uh, you know, independent series. Like, how did you get into sort of uh, quote unquote geekdom uh, and nerd culture? Like, what was your introduction? We were the original nerds. I mean, we we. Uh, it's so weird nerds rule the world now and most of culture is nerd culture but it was when it first came out and and mom burnt it because she said it was from the devil (laughs) 
Oh, literally geez. took all our D&D stuff. She, one Christmas, she got us stuff for D&D, and then Jesus told her it was bad. So then she took it all out in the yard, in the backyard, and made us watch her burn it. Oh, she my She said God. it was going to let the devil in our lives. I had, I had messed up religious childhood at, at times. Oh, man. Um, I guess, like, uh, or when was this? Because I know there was the satanic panic uh, at a certain time. Was it kind of that era, or was it, like, a little bit later? It was right around then. Oh, man. The, Crazy. In 1980, 81, I think, 82. I can't remember. It's so long ago. It's like 38 years ago. But <laughs> I do remember learning all my favorite things. That's always fun. As she was I'm a- sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. With a lot of religious people, they, they think that, uh, they think that uh, it's okay to be horrible. <laughs> It's very yeah. offense to super religious people. I know lots of really nice super religious people too, just not the ones in my family. Yeah, it's kind of funny you mention that. My friend is super religious and he plays Pathfinder and D&D, but I think the worst he doesn't allow people to do is select the religion classes. Oh, like clerics? No, like yeah. he he doesn't like 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 check, like clearly the religions like who you worship. I think oh, that's the oh. worst of it. It doesn't allow them to choose which deity they worship and the like. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so question, you mentioned sort of living between uh, Texas and Chicago and uh, having gone to uh, college in Chicago and then, you know, working at theaters in the Chicagoland area. What caused you to uh, go back to Texas instead of, uh, you know, more traditional uh, acting meccas like uh, New York City or L.A.? really amazing career in chicago and uh my agent was he was the he, when matt damon and affleck were were uh, in new york he was their agent in new york and then they moved to la and he moved to chicago and then he became my agent in chicago and then we went to la and it, there was the prelude trip to sort of get me set to go out to LA. And then <clears throat> this very, very powerful agent tried to, uh, tried to, tried to sex me and I had to shove him off me. And then my career uh, evaporated overnight and I got no more auditions in Chicago. So I kind of crawled back home to Texas with my, with my tail, not my tail between my legs, but just kind of dispirited because I had like a six figure voiceover in film TV career. And I was working at the Steppenwolf and and then after that trip to L.A. where where uh, he behaved like a shit, um, my, my career operated. So I, I went back to the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area because my family was there. And I started a theater company. I was kind of over after that experience. I was like, forget this business. This business sucks. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start a where I can do great work and, and not have to worry about uh, uh, total jerkweed uh, ruining things. Uh, that's a lot more than I thought, um, you know, would come from that. I, I guess, like, it's it's pretty inspiring that you were able to kind of make a turnaround on that. But do you know if uh, any, any of that's ever caught up to that uh, person who did that? And he he was not a very healthy man towards the end. I think he lived about four or five, five or six years after that. So, you know, we try not to speak of the dead, but mm-hmm. I bet he was probably not the best guy to a lot of people. <laughs> come to find out, I don't know if you guys know this, but come to find out people in this industry, power tend to end up acting like complete uh, uh, jerkweeds. <laughs> I've, I've heard. 
I too. It's nice to see it turn around, though. If you would have told me uh, that Harvey Weinstein would end up in prison and lose his career, I would have I would have spit milk out my nose at you because I've been like, he's never going down. He owns Hollywood, but he did. So I guess there's hope. Crazy. Um. So yeah, Patrick, uh, do you want to sort of oh. take it away going back to uh, more? Uh, yeah. Yeah, go for it, man. Gotcha. Um, depressing topics. Is that what <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I was curious what the what sort of jobs did you you have when you got into acting? I know a lot of people have sort of sort of side side gigs, and I always uh, talking to people and that because I want at one point I want to be a voice actor, and everyone told me get sort of a side gig or have that as like a sideline. I was wondering if you had anything of that nature while you were getting into acting and voice acting. I was funded under a grant from Harvard uh, University to uh, do uh, sort of on the west side of Chicago. So I I helped spearhead program out there where we were basically the whole gist of the program was there's free pizza if you take our drama class. That was essentially the whole. So we, we had people like free pizza. I'll do your drama class. That's and, the classic um, strategy. And we would put up. Yeah, yeah, free food. Listen, a lot of actors still show up on movie sets for free food. I've been known to do that on occasion. But yeah, so that was my side hustle, and that turned into meeting some of the other social service people in the Chicagoland area, and I ended up working for uh, Children's Society as a foster parent, supplemental supplemental foster uh, parent in a group home uh, with and acting as their dad, um, you know, 24 hours on, 48 hours off. So it was a pretty interesting gig. And I could, I could my, my, my hours with foster parents, or if I had an audition, I could get one to cover me for four hours and I'd cover them on their shift. So it was a good side hustle. And then when I moved to my side hustle became my brother, my brother who I love, who, who I already told you how much I love him. He, uh, <laughs> he managed a bar. And I was like, yeah, I can come, I come back to Texas. I can bar, attend bar at your bar. And he was, he was like, no, you can be the janitor. <laughs> so I ended up starting janitor, but I ended up uh, turning it into a, basically a construction company. And so I would do, for the longest time, my side hustle was, you know, I'd put up a, I'd tear out your bathroom. I'd, I'd demo your office. Uh, uh, and then ended up teaching. I, I uh, I was substitute teaching at a, a small school, and the teacher I was substituting for quit, and so I took the for the rest of the year, and then within two years, I ended up principal of the school, and then stayed there for seven years, and that was during the time I was I was recording Yu Yu Hakusho. I was a principal of a small Catholic school. Oh man, that's absolutely crazy. Um, question about that. Um, I guess, how was it kind of, uh, did you see any issue with acting as a demon in a show? I guess technically a yokai and, uh, you know, being the head of a Catholic school. For some people have their sort of foolish superstitious notions. My, my Catholic faith was always based on, uh, the way and the way like that guy Jesus behaved and like none of these people in these religions behave like those people they behave like the Pharisees and Sadducees I would get 
occasionally upset about it, but I would, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm pretty charming and I, I can, uh, I can talk my way uh, out of tense. So it's only uh, trouble for parents a couple of times. They're like, you're in, you're in the anime. And I'm like, yes, well, God's work is everything. <laughs> yeah. It, Which it's is always true. Tr- yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, I mean, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's like it's like a character you're playing. It's not like you're actually, you know, gonna become this demon guy that shoots giant like serpents out of his hand. My brother and sister and mother, the super uber religious people, they eventually uh, said that I was actually possessed by a dragon demon, probably because of Hie. Oh dear uh, lord! They spent a good part. Well, no, they're still spending time right now trying to take my children from me. They're uh, they're really horrible people. They they believe dragon demon that uh, exists inside me is going to carry my children's souls into eternal damnation. Uh, uh, just people get a little crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a it's definitely an insane world out there. And when you mix sort of that hardcore religion and you know that sort of not sort of separating you know what's real from fake, sometimes it kind of gets that way. Are, I, you know, I'm, I don't think everything that, obviously, I don't think everything that is produced in, in media is, I think probably 90% of it is absolute, like, crap. The top 10% is, is good and good for you. But um, you have an obligation to your own reality to be, but you can be a good person. You, you, you being a good person is, is pretty universal. You, you just, you know, don't don't be horrible to other people. You know, deal with yourself and and uh, don't try to put your your thoughts into somebody else's life. That's just uh, that's just pointless. Yeah. Um. So, uh, sort of moving on to uh, sort of Funimation. Uh, one of the things that recurs to us: How do you know uh, Brad Jackson, aka DBZ's DBZ Oolong, uh, before he convinced you to audition for uh, Dragon Ball Z? theater company that we started we had an improv group called fuzzy logic and he came one day and he was like hey man you should audition for this dragon balls thing and i was like dragon balls that sounds like porn and he was like no it's he's anime and i was like oh so it's definitely porn and he's like no call <laughs> this dude his name's chris sabbat and so i called him and he was like come on in you can totally come in and audition and i went and auditioned and i Garlic Jr. was the first thing I got. And I literally got the role. And Sab was like, yeah, man, that was great. That was, that was totally great. You got time like right now to record it? And I was like, I got the part. He was like, yeah, do you want to record it like now? We're kind of on a deadline. And I was like, I've never auditioned the role. I'd gotten it right then and then immediately recorded it. That had never happened to me before. So, but they were, they were by the seat of their pants at the beginning back then. But Brad, Brad was in, he was in the, he and I met doing i can't remember wizard of oz or or some show at manana i think that's where we met uh maybe my buddy jakey knew him and brought him in for the improv group or something but yeah so brad is i believe him he's the one who who, uh, accidentally gave me my career (laughs) you know what's super interesting though is that uh, i think fans usually compare both Garlic Jr. and Emperor Pilaf, Emperor Pilaf in a way, and it's kind of funny since 
you voice both the characters and I think uh and I know I, I don't remember I don't remember exactly the, the Garlic Jr., but it was a, sort of that same voice, right? Not just a little more he's a little more evil. Oh, Emperor Pilaf's a little goofier, you know. So they're <laughs> they're in the same range, but uh Garlic Jr. is uh, definitely his uh, Emperor Pilaf's grumpy cousin. That's that's super interesting. Did they did they sort of uh when they when they cast you as uh, Emperor Pilaf, did they use that same that that sort of mentality of the the character in that range, or was it just sort of a just sort of a oh hey this character kind of looks like him. Do you want to audition? Because like old school cartoons used to do that, the guy who played the big gruff grumpy guy did all the big gruff grumpy guys. Uh, the guy the 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 voice who did all the squeaky high voices did all the squeaky high voices. So I think they were kind of in the beginning modeling it off that like oh here's a guy who can do these types of character voices we'll let him him do as many as he wants uh so i think that that is kind of how it it happened they were like oh it's they look the same he can do that voice that's nice but i guess oh sorry uh one role that was like very different than that at least in terms of physical appearance was uh android 17 what was the process like to get selected for that? And, you know, how did uh, that kind of come about? Abbott asked me to audition for it. And I, w- I had all these ideas like, I'm Android 17. He's like, no, man, no, just relax. Just don't do anything. I was like, he's like, no, man, seriously, just just don't do anything. And I was like, I'm in. He's like, that's perfect. That's what I want. And uh, so role I've ever done in my I got a little harder in super it's definitely gotten harder in super he he actually had reactions and some some pretty big key blasts which normally the the old school db's android he would certainly be fighting a lot but his character wouldn't be making any noise so I get to skip all the really rough fight reactions uh, <laughs> yeah does it, was, um, it, uh, was it sort of just as hard I mean, a little uh, as hard doing something like a Dragon Ball Fighters are sort of the video games that feature Android 17. We have to do all the so so the the grunts and all those and all the yelling. Definitely harder on the voice because you have these massive sheets of fight reactions that you have to do, and you're listening to what the Japanese laid down, and you're kind of you have to match the timing that the Japanese Seiyu has thrown into the 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 mix. So you're you're listening to it, and you're you're kind of repeating but not repeating it exactly, trying to capture the flavor of it. But yeah, the, the fighting reactions can get a little brutal. You feel the blood down your throat, <laughs> and you're like, I think I'm done. I think I can't talk anymore. That sounds yeah. so painful. Yeah. Um, on the, uh, uh, one of the things I was curious about is on the, the final D- DVD commentary, you Hakusho, Justin Cook mentions having received mountains of fan auditions for Hiei. What was the audition process like for you, Hakusho, and how's it? How do you? How's it feel to know how many people wanted the role? Process for you, you Hakusho. I auditioned for all four characters, all four main characters. I wanted Yusuke. That's that. He was. He seemed to be the lead, so I was like, "That's the one I want," because that means more recording time. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> Until like episode five or or episode eight, I can't remember. I always get them mixed up. I think Stein comes in episode five and he is episode eight. But the episodes batches of four. 
So the whole first six weeks or two months of recording Yu Yu Hakusho, I didn't get called in at all. So I assumed I hadn't been cast. And I knew others were recording it. So I was very sad. I was like, oh, I'm bummed. I thought I was going to be in that. And then uh, they called me in the second round of, of recording, the second batch of episodes. And I was like, yay, I am in it. Huzzah. They uh, they really waited until kind of like up to production time to sort of give you the go ahead on that because like if you're going to be a series regular that seems so hectic. To this day, they don't tell you ahead of time. They only tell you only know you get the part when they call you in to record the session. When you say they oh, in this wow. case, you and you're Funimation? like, "What did I get?" <laughs> oh, sorry. When you say they in this case, you mean Funimation or general uh, voice acting studios? Funimation, Funimation, the the Tara schedule coordinator, our production coordinator, she's the one who's told me all the roles I've gotten in my life. And she's told me them as I'm as I'm being booked for them. I'm like, oh, I'm coming in for you, you Haksha. What character? She's like, he a I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Uh well, they, that that must be super interesting for us. Like, oh, you're getting booked. Oh, okay. For who? Just come in. And it's like, oh, he a okay, cool. It may Maybe slightly different. Nah, it's not any different. They do things the same way at Funimation all the time. Gotcha. All right, Joe, did you want to ask the next question? Oh, okay, I can ask it, yeah. So, um, it, again, in that final DVD commentary, because I've listened to it <laughs> a trillion times, um, Justin Cook mentions uh, having gone over uh, both Hiei and uh, Kurama's backstories with you and John Bergmeier ahead of time so that you kind of had more of a heads up with regards to character development than the Japanese voice actors uh, did, ironically. Like, uh, what was it like sort of knowing Hiei's tragic past going into the role as opposed to kind of finding out as he transitioned from Monster of the, Wo- Monster of the Week? The, the, these types of characters are typically my favorite. I love um, characters that use their broken to do good and, and do a lot of times like they because they lived so much and they've experienced pain to a certain level that even doing good doesn't feel good to them most of the time and so if you get that little bit of smile out of them or that little bit of camaraderie like it's so palpable for the fan base like oh that's that's just we want him to be part of the team we want him to act like the team player we want him to save the day and that's just a really, it's just a really interesting position for, uh, you know, character development. You get to see the, like, character behave this way through their brokenness. Gotcha. All right. Um, so I was curious, what years were you recording for here for the main series? Or was it the uh, 2001 to when? No, I think so. I think it was around, yeah, it's got, I think, 99, 2000, 2000. It's all a blur. I remember I was teaching, and I was definitely teaching 99 through 2006. So somewhere in that range. I'm guessing it's 2001. I think uh, Justin Cook mentions uh, having been doing some initial uh, research when September 11th happened. So I think you guys would have been in the booth uh, late 2001. Yeah. Yes. So um sorry. Uh I mean it was it uh was it difficult sort of juggling uh 
doing teaching and voice acting and sort of voice acting at the same time? And was was there sort of a decision to where you wanted to start going voice acting full time versus still juggling the teaching and uh, voice acting? Recording teaching was a little difficult. Uh, there uh, happen is I would I would book a session from like three to six, and then they had some night sessions too. For from six to 10 and those were no problem. So I was basically available from three to 10 for recordings, just sort of an after school uh, gig. There were occasionally times where they needed something and I would have to go have a meeting, at the, the diocese office <laughs> in the middle of the day as principal. Uh, and it really wasn't a meeting at the diocesan office. It was really me going to Funimation to record he, oh. uh, but, <laughs> but the school was, I was I was in charge. I could do what I wanted, and I wasn't gone that long. It's usually over over the lunch break, uh, so I'd miss like an extra hour of school in the middle of the day. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it was difficult to juggle that. And then I really teaching and be, and running a school is incredibly hard. And I actually left teaching um, to uh, I started being a, a, a project manager. Uh, for a company because I wanted regular steady money, uh, for which company I, I missed until uh... the housing crash of 2008. And then all of that stuff Oof. went away and I ended up uh, uh, going back to just like fixing people's fences and, and hustling as an actor still. Cause you're, you're, you know, it hasn't been until, eight years man it's been about 10 years probably about the last 10 years that i haven't had to have uh you know solid side hustle where i can just do what i do and survive on it i haven't even really done uh commercial audition for i don't know maybe five years seven years just because to do a lot of them to book uh and the time doing the auditions was I was like, I'm not, I can use my time better and, and more creatively and, and do, do more interesting work and fun stuff. And so that's, that's what I chose to do. I teach now I teach online. I do a, an online voice acting competition called now voice this. And, um, you know, I do private coaching and conventions and I produce things and I take, you know, I take most of the work I take is is work that I can do from the studio here at home. Uh, and then, of course, all the sort of legacy roles that I have uh, with Funimation and Ogretron. Yeah, uh, go, going into that, I mean, it must have been it must be a lot different than it was before where you can sort of just be in your house and re- get uh, your own sort of setup and record a mic versus going to a giant recording studio and having all their sort of analog equipment set you up, right? I was curious if sort of technology and that advancements, sort of how it changed over time has made it easier to be able to do like all these side gigs and be able to record and audition, create like sizzle reels and sort of the comfort of your own home versus booking studio time with all these, this analog equipment. It's totally different. When, when I was coming up, it was a big deal for my, agency to put a mini 
recording studio in the agency so that we could record our auditions in, in the agency. So I used to have to go in and record my auditions in the agency. And then you have a demo, you had a tape, a demo tape, you know, you'd have your little, little headshot on the front of it and have your name on the, the side and it would have all your stuff on it that you done. Yeah. It's very different. It was, it, if I could go back in time, I would have I would have pushed into making my own studio and making my own films much earlier than I than I did. Uh, but it's much easier now, and there's there's a lot. I mean, it's the barrier entry to voice acting is about maybe hundred dollars, like four hundred dollars, and be ready to record uh, essentially for for whatever studio you need to record with. I mean, you got to do a little bit of work yeah. and a little bit to make your studio sound um, uh, in terms of sound option. But, you know, you Apogee Mic, which Funimation is using now for its remote recording for like uh, 200, 280 bucks. Nice. Is that, a, is that sort of an XLR mic or is that sort of more USB based? USB mic with a, with a, a you know, a little little gain on the front of it so you can you can adjust the gain on it um so uh, it sounds good though i mean it's a good mic for if you're gonna start uh with a usb mic which is not a not a bad idea for starters uh you definitely get with a gain and uh, apogee is is a really nice one this one that i'm using is uh super cheap it's like a 30 dollar usb mic it's called a fifine f-i-f-i-e F I N E, no extra I. Um, you know the and the the snowballs and all all the other under uh, USB mics. You can do a lot of work just off, and um, you know almost anyone can do it. Almost anyone can do it. Yeah, it, it's certainly amazing. I mean. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Some call it corn, we call it therapy. We're adults with the virility of men. Want to hear us read snack food copy and talk about Japanese chips? Too bad! Join us every month or so on the Greenlight Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast covers the latest Nintendo news while also diving into what's hot in pop culture, music trivia, hands-on impressions, and so much more. Hopefully we can make you laugh, too. You'll find new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network every single week. Uh, so this is something that I think a lot of us are kind of wondering, um, but what was your favorite arc or moment of the series for Hiei himself? And like, you know, what was your most fun to like perform? Yeah, it'd have to be a dark tournament and then dragon of the darkness flame. I came into the studio and Justin was like, Hey man, today your arm, you know, like turns into this giant smoky dragon and you totally whoop up on everyone. And I, I was like, that sounds amazing. And then cause during, have a tendency to lie to you sometimes you're like maybe that's not really gonna happen and then i got to watch it happen and i was like i don't get to be that awesome a character normally like not that's not your regular acting gig so it's always very fun anime is very fun for that reason because you do some epic things things you know world ending earth shaking planet splitting 
stuff that doesn't normally happen on stage or most uh, uh, TV or film work. You generally don't get to do that unless you're Robert Downey Jr. or one of the Avengers. Nice. Uh, yeah, you know, you always think of uh, sort of like shonen anime as like power power fantasy stuff for like the viewers, but I wonder, does it sometimes feel like power fantasy as a voice actor? Oh, totally, totally. You get you get to you get to feel <laughs> all sorts of amazing stuff as you're you're acting these, these epic moments. You get to be, and you know, it's not even just like the epic moments. Uh, there's some of the Hosada films, Boy and Beast in particular. I played. Um, in character's name, but I played his father. I had a really, really fascinating, touching scene with my son. And, uh, you know, just some really, really good, interesting acting challenges in those Hosada films because they're, you know, they're anime in the, the sort of Miyazaki tradition, you know, so the stories are primary and the images are primary. And, and, that's when we get to just like we do our best work because we don't want to ruin anything that's already so beautiful you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. your job is not to elevate times in a lot of anime we work on because it's not necessarily of the highest quality but when on an anime that's of such high quality you gotta i gotta stretch myself into this make sure I don't, I'm not the one who screws it up. Yeah. You did a really great job. And uh boy in the beast, I actually completely forgot caught you were in that. There was a, that was actually one of my favorite movies that year. It was so good. You were, I have to say though, you definitely played a, a better father than uh, the father you played in a uh, full metal alchemist. That's for sure. Everybody hates Shao Tucker. Everybody likes to hate him. I don't know. Why? I thought it was funny when I recorded it. I was like, yeah, that's so funny. That guy just totally did that to his dog and his daughter. Uh, and then I watched uh, Full Metal and I'm like, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that uh, scene was a bit rough, for sure. For sure. <laughs> for shall. No. Uh, um, sort of moving on to the, uh, I guess going back to the DVD commentary, you mentioned that uh, that there was that when you did the commentary, there was the last Yu Yu Hakusho material that you'd be working on for the series. Was sort of that a surprise? Oh, sorry. Was that were you sort of surprised about that? And uh, what were your feelings towards the end of the sort of the recording of that whole series? When we when we recorded the end of the series, it was it was pretty emotional because it was the first time we had sort of connected in on a new series after anime had become popular. Yu mm. Yu Hakusho was when we started to realize anime was going to be a thing in the United States. So we were like, oh, holy crap, we might have careers. <laughs> and got to the end of it, Justin was recording and he he was like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was like, he was like, because you usually get three beeps and where the fourth beep is, is where you're supposed to start talking. As we got down lines, he was like, and now you only get two beeps. <laughs> get one beep and now this line with zero beeps without video and i did the very last line with no beeps and no video so it was already dark it was like it was like a way of letting it go almost feels spiritual it was pretty yeah. spiritual back in the day 
Yeah. So is that sort of how, that sort of how you sort of synced up the videos that you'd have it like beep off, like sort of when you're like recording a song almost like it's like uh, sort of the count in. That's exactly what it is. Beep, 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 talk. That's where you talk is where the fourth beep should be. So, I gotcha. I have another question about craft. Um, in another interview, you mentioned that while subdirecting at Funimation, uh, you got to work with, uh, I think her name was Lucy Christian. And uh, you Dude, said that Lucy you were... Christian's great. Mm-hmm. In the interview, you said that you were so impressed with her work that, uh, and you know, before that you had thought like, oh yeah, I'm a pretty good voice actor, but like it kind of made you rethink uh, your entire approach to the profession um, and sort of like the level that you're going to hold yourself to. Like, wh- how did that uh, sort of play out? Like, what did you decide to change based on like your experience with her? She was just so much more efficient than I was. She was able to nail things much more quickly. Like I, I had a little bit too much of the actor in me and she had a little bit more of the craft person in her. So she was crafting her characters more quickly than I was because I was still sort of job of the actor. Uh, when I saw how quickly she was able to get through things, I was like, oh, I can do it that quick as well. And seeing her technique made me go, oh, I can I can steal that from her. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, I always, you know... People who are not like strictly artists like tend to forget the craft aspect of art, and that's like really fascinating to hear from the, some sort of comparative uh, workmanship. Uh, so that's really interesting. Wife is an artist, a physical artist, and you know how you load your images, what you know Photoshop thing you're working with, what pencils you have, what paper you have. Like she'll be stuck because she's doesn't have the right watercolor paper. So like there's all the craft is a lot of it, what you're able to do. And we talk about that in the classes I teach, we talk about having, you know, this constant improvement towards the craft aspects of it. And that's, you know, how do I name my files? Where do I store my files? How do I do my auditions? How do I attach my files? Cleaning my auditions, treating my space with, am I constantly improving my studio space? So it sounds deader and deader. Like there's, there's a lot of craft and you hard work of craft so that you can have the fun of those moments where you just get to do the acting. The acting is the, the acting is bonus. The work is getting the job. Once you've gotten the job that then the rest is easy. Yeah. That that typically seems to be in a lot of industries, especially programming where it's like you have to, I mean, they give you like all these tests and all these, this this stuff and then after after you get the job it's more or less you know it's it's just doing that it's just sort of i i guess sort of impressing you know yeah, i guess for like sure building, building yourself up to that point too it's it's a combination like you know signal and and the like to get to the point where they know that you're competent enough etc it it is really cool seeing that parallel like across industries across fields uh, across like entire disciplines etc um, but Patrick, I, I think, um, the question that we were planning on asking next, we kind of already, uh, touched on, do you want to move on to some of the discussion regarding, uh, two shots? Sure. Um, so in October, October last year was mentioned that Funimation will be dubbing the, you, you, the two new you Hakusho OVAs, uh, two shots and all or nothing. Uh, are you, uh, are you involved in that, uh, currently, or have you laid down any recording in terms of, uh, Hie? 
before all of this happened, Justin said, I was up at animation and Justin was like, I've gotten the line counts and you've got a lot of lines and, and that means we're getting close. You know what line counts means? Because usually when you have the lines counted, that means ready to start booking sessions. And so, of course, the world changed. And I, they're probably waiting to do the two OVAs once they can do them in-house rather than trying to do them remotely. Mm-hmm. So as Texas opens up, I am hoping that we we start to record those because that will be that will be a glorious little return to something I did many many years ago. Yeah, it's, I'm super excited to, to sort of hear Hie after all these years and see sort of uh, sort of that character. It's sort of like putting on sort of a, a new pair a, a pair of shoes that you haven't worn in a while or like a t-shirt. It's like oh awesome. So it's like oh man, I'm gonna feel super happy to hear this character again. Uh, do you know? Do you know if there's a if there's anything you're like considering doing differently, or if there's anything that you that might be more difficult? Because I mean, yeah. Or I guess I, I know what you're saying. Because yeah. actually, and many fans may be. I'm not sure how well it's going to be received, but I've decided to make he a Scottish. So awesome. It's going to be I'm like Yusuke. What are you doing there, lad? I think Listen, I think that's a bold, play. bold choice, and I think I'm ready for it. Let's do it. Can you imagine if I came in and I was like, I refuse to do it unless he's Scottish. You know, the great <laughs> thing about coming back to these characters after so many years is that you did them for so long. They, they come right back to you. You listen to a little bit of what you laid down 20 years ago, and you're like, yeah, I'm still that guy. My voice is still there. I'm My voice is... Uh, it's not ageless, but it's it's got a particular quality to it that is going to last well into my probably up to my 70s before before my voice starts sounding like it's not going to work for certain things. Um, so that that all comes down to physical health too. You know, you keep yourself healthy, you keep your voice healthy. Yeah, I, I was just curious because I know like uh, I have recordings of me singing different things like years ago. And I try singing it now, and I can't even remotely hit some of the range and some of the stuff I do. And I was curious if maybe sort of voice acting was sort of a similar principle in a way where you know you might not be able to hit exactly where it was that you that you were years ago. I, I think for Hie, it's not going to be a problem because he's rested so far in my neutral sort of natural voice. He's very much present in just my regular speaking voice. If I were to just be a little grumpy, suddenly it starts to feel like he a, you know, and had a little bit more of the edge to it. And he's he starts to come come back right away. Characters like Emperor Pilaf, I mean, I, I hopefully have his range for a while. He became a little bit harder. I used to be able to crank my way around those those high falsetto cracks and. Uh, you know, like like uh, it takes a little <laughs> bit more effort now. Now that yeah, you definitely nailed feel off though. It was really great to sort of hear him after all these, after so long because he's like one of my favorite villains in Dragon Ball in general. So thank you. I hope you did air quotes around the word villain uh, when you said it. <laughs> he is he is the air quotes villain. The he's air a, quotes he's villain. villain. He's, yeah, a hapless, he's, hapless he's a villain. a vaudeville character. His vaudeville stock routines with his with his troop. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's a definitely a it's it's a funny reflection considering where Dragon Ball has come since then. Where it's like it's everybody has twelve 
different forms and they have like killer android robots and all this other things so and I, I guess it's just humbling because it's like oh yeah i remember when dragon ball was this this goofy villain with his uh his associates you know The, the the Emperor Pilaf, like when we got to the Dragon Ball, because we recorded Dragon Ball after Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. so it was to go go back in time and see what what you know where where the series originated, and uh, it was really more comical back in the day. It was it was is more comically focused, and Emperor Pilaf was a big part of that, and he's still he's still just comic relief. That's all he's there for. Yeah, I mean, he did resurrect Frieza, so he's he's pretty uh well, at least helped resurrect Frieza, so he's still pretty important to the story in some way, at least. <laughs> he's, na- he's narratively important because they they make him do things that that uh, only only he would do because <laughs> he's I feel kind that's of an the idiot. Best way of describing it. <laughs> um, so mentioning other uh possible future projects in 2019 uh, in August, you mentioned that you were done working on a uh, Dragon Ball Super. I know the manga is still going, but that there's not necessarily plans to uh, bring back the series. But um, if there are and that comes out, like, are, are you interested in coming back uh, as 17 or Pilaf or some combination of the two? 17, Pilaf, Kabito, Master Shen, Android 13. Uh, those characters come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely raring to go for those. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, as long as they as long as they let me do it, I'll do it. That's awesome. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Nice. I'm super excited. Sweet. Um, let's see. Uh, so I guess I guess going back to the sort of the current day, uh, you mentioned you're sort of well, you're sort of well equipped from working from home, doing the voice acting, teaching online, and stuff. Uh, hopefully, all the sort of work from home stuff is treating you and your family well in these rough times. We're doing okay. I had, uh, as soon as all of this stuff happened, I had a business line of credit that I could pull. And so I did because like, well, what if money goes away? It's <laughs> like, let me, let, let me go ahead. And so I, I took a giant, I basically took a giant, uh, business loan and, uh, far it's turned out, it's turned out fine. We, you know, I, everybody was scared at the beginning. So we pushed on a lot of different, uh, my wife and I pushed on a lot of different ways of of making income happen for our family. We might have pushed a little hard because we're we're doing we're doing okay now. I actually got a I had applied artist grant here locally, a five thousand dollar grant, and informed me that I I was a recipient of the grant. But they asked me to consider if I really needed it because there were other artists who really really needed it. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. You guys can have that grant back. So. I was doing good to turn down free money because oh. I love our artists. <laughs> that's that's good to hear, actually. Yeah, I'm super happy you guys you guys are doing doing pretty well. I mean, it it, it definitely definitely got pretty scary there. I know I know in, in my case, I wasn't sure about my job, so I started brushing up on my resume and sort of looking into doing some Fiverr gigs for ed- some editing work. So I'm de- I'm definitely happy that that it sort of hasn't gotten that bad. At least in in terms of us, so, person um, person by person for sure. I know people who are absolutely you know devastated by what happened and had to avail themselves of every extra 
piece of cash that they could get because their industries just evaporated. My sister-in-law is, uh, you know, for, you know, big fancy photo shoots, which they just aren't doing right now. They're not doing photo shoots. So as soon as, and I, you know, I got friends who make movies and nobody's making movies right now. So they're, you know, constant pre-production and, and not really making any of the money they normally make. So uh, I've, uh, my wife and I've been very lucky and, Crazy on the gardening and the chickens and the kombucha and all the sort of like, well, what if food disappears? What would we do? And so now that takes a lot of our time in the backyard. Like, uh, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, you're a voice actor in Dragon Ball Z. You got to be rich. And it's like, no, we're we're regular, just straight class. You know, I drive a, a 2006 uh, Honda Accord <laughs> because I don't drive very much. And I was like, why am I going to, you know, why? Why? Two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars a month on a fancy car when I I just don't drive that much. I do most of my stuff from home. Yeah, um, I'm I'm super happy you're doing you're doing relatively well for yourself and everything's going okay. But yeah, it's definitely definitely hard hard going out there. But but yeah, no, it's 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 kind of interesting because in Japan, I know a lot of the voice actors are pretty are sort of in that same range with the big time actors, and it's gonna kind of sad we haven't really gotten there in terms of voice acting especially in the states where a lot of it's pretty really important especially with all these animated films and stuff do you think it's a question of like uh cultural cachet like um that it's not taken as seriously here as it is in japan or like what do you attribute that to i I mean for sure the japanese because it's their art form it's 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 a ship of their country you know it's Jazz is for America, you know, jazz is an American uh, art form. We, we trumpet that around the world as, as our American thing. And the Japanese with the anime, that's, you know, incredibly into their culture. So, uh, we're as, as, as well revered as the say you in Japan are, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of cool with how things are. Um, so outside of the realm of uh, voice acting, I know that you've uh, made a couple films, including The Fragility of Seconds and uh, Arbor Day, the musical. And I was wondering, uh, wh- what have your experiences been like, uh, you know, sort of working in like these independent films, writing and starring uh, in some cases? Probably the thing I love more than anything else is, is making making movies with my friends, which is usually what it ends up being is making movies with my friends who are filmmakers and whether I'm editing and producing or, or acting and, and uh, you know, sound, uh, you know, first AD and, uh, you know, in these indie, indie projects, you, you sometimes take on multiple roles. I edit a 12th night film that's on Amazon by, uh, with a group, Hollywood Shakespeare, a bunch of really good people making making good Shakespeare movies. Uh, it's the thing I like more than anything else. It's the it's the most team sport you can get other than theater. Theater is the most team acting sport. Uh, film is film is definitely second. A question uh, with regards to the idea of team team theater um previously you mentioned that there was an improv aspect to the theater troupe that you had started in the dallas area through which you met uh oolong's voice actor and your friend um 
were you big into improv at, at some point? Because like when I watch uh, interviews with you and like, you know, con appearances, like you just roll with punches in a way that like fascinates me. Uh, like people just make the most ridiculous requests and you're able to just go along with it. How how is improv played into your voice acting and life generally? Uh, in the theater school at DePaul, our whole first year was Viola Spolin. Improv work was all we did. We had no lines for the first year. It was all improvisation. So it was more longer form. Uh, Spolin, a particular type of improv. With our improv troupe, we had no games, no suggestions from the audience. We just knew where we were going to start. And we had feeding in music and sound effects. And, and then we just kind of did a spacewalk. And we did 60 minutes of whatever think to do. So it was, it was definitely a high wire act in terms of improv. And some nights it really well, and some nights it just did not work at all. The nights it worked really well, though, made me think, like, we could really do this. Uh, I've always been... Uh, improv is my foundation for my acting, for sure. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I, I definitely agree on that, that aspect. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes that's sort of, sort of half the fun with improv. It's like, you know, you try all these different things. You know, it may not work, but, you know, maybe you can take that idea and branch into something else in a way it's the part of it that i love so much is that you you definitely know when it works and you definitely know when it doesn't work whereas a lot of times with acting scripted material you don't know whether or not it's any good but with improv you kind of know right away whether or not it worked no that's that i actually never thought of it that way no that, that makes sense i mean once you make this giant script and you, you write it out, you don't know how it may receive, but you know, you're on the stage and you're engaging with the audience and you know, your cast members like, okay, maybe not that. And hopefully that helps you along the way sort of with the writing on top of that, with, with that sort of benefit in that way as well. Absolutely. That's, 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 that's how the sausage is made theater wise. Sure. Nice. Uh, I guess moving, uh, moving on to some, some, I guess some more sort of, uh, different sort of closing questions. Uh, on your Wikipedia, I mentioned that you work in Nigeria as part of, sorry, on, on your Wikipedia, I mentioned that you worked in Nigeria with your, with, uh, the, the divine face organization. What was that? And, uh, what exactly did you uh, do? The, the, uh, East, uh, Father Gerard Mary Anyanwu from Ihetakwafu, Nigeria, used to come to the Arlington area and every summer to raise money for his school. And we had a 1C3 that would help raise money for his school. And being president of the board, and they had their first graduating class. And so I got to fly over there and be the sort of United States representative at their first big graduation celebration. And if you've ever been to a long graduation celebration, you've never been to a graduation celebration in Africa because some of the college graduations and they're long, but this graduation celebration was, I kid you not, hours, the first part of it, it ended up being a nine hour graduation ceremony. And you're sitting as, as an honored guest, all the performances and speeches are directed at you and the rest of the audience is behind the people performing for you. So you have the audience sort of staring at you on stage and performing for you. And there were like 
bus, different, the mayor of the town and, and all that stuff. But, uh, so, and that, that, uh, that, uh, is still going strong and they have about 400 students and, and we still raise funds for them to this day and it's a boarding school. And so they, you know, house and, and helped, uh, the projects they had going on and, Africa is a beautiful, beautiful place. It's, I would love to go back there someday. That's that's really awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your work with that. Pleasure, absolutely, my pleasure. Yeah, th- there was a question I had about that. Um, I while I was doing the research and and found that out, I was noticing a pattern of like you know you seem to be uh, a man of uh, faith, but it often doesn't seem to intersect much with your professional voiceover actor persona like uh is that something you just decide to keep separate um don't feel free to you know disregard the question if it's maybe too personal or like how do you sort of not at uh, all not at all well i was i was uh you know the uh fit in in my faith i never i was always the one going hey well what about this question and and i i would i would use the catechism of the catholic church to show that you know Theologically speaking, certain sins were exactly equal to certain other sins, and so that if you were going to be judgmental towards this one sin, and and I knew for a fact you had this other sin, you you really had no room to be judgmental. And uh, I go to you know I would go to prayer groups, and I would always make them very interesting with my colorful language because I you know I just different. I had a different take on it. Um, I always saw that Jesus guy as kind of a, a, a rebel who, who spoke truth to power and was like, you guys are all doing a bunch of rituals that are stupid. We should just be kind to each other. And, and I see that, you know, big ministry. And I, I, you know, I, I, and, and a pretty brutal uh, divorce from that Orthodox Catholic side of my family, the Latin mass sort of Mel Gibson Catholics who, um, uh, very, very specifically about the faith, and uh, I not allowed to be part of them anymore. And so, uh, uh, it, me has changed, but the faith around me has definitely uh, shifted. But as far as you know, I think art is art, and you just do good art. And um, I, think I, I, I uh, there's one of the commandments that says. Uh, uh, do not be any graven image, and I, I translate that. Uh, I translate that. Um, we went to the Aramaic and then the ancient Latin, but really, what that commandment says is, "Don't make crappy art." That's the, uh, that's the one, one of the one of the Ten Commandments is, "Don't make bad art." Do not make unto thee any graven image. You know, listen, to what a graven image is? A crappy image. Don't make don't make bad art, and. Uh, so that's, that's been do that because you got to survive and you got to you got to take jobs uh, even when it's it's not great art. But your job as an artist is to try to make the best art you can. That's an incredibly uh, profound and beautiful philosophy. I, I I'm amazed at how that all tied together in a very neat way. 
Um, I guess, uh, how, how long do we do we have? Do we only have you for another 14 minutes? Because uh, we have some uh, of our own wrap-up questions, but also questions from our listeners. But uh, depending on how much time you have left, we can yeah. you know, sort of prioritize. I got 14 more minutes for you. Okay. I gotcha. Patrick, you yeah, take, pu- take the wheel. Yeah, let's... Uh... We'll probably just wrap up. So we'll just ask you, ask you like a couple, like two more questions, and probably wrap this up. Um, so, uh, and this is going to be like silly questions. So, uh, tell us about the time you reverse engineered uh, CBS executive Les Moon's email address. Uh, Les Moonves. Les Moonves. I did that. Uh, how did I do that? Uh, you, you. I used to do that all the time. I used to try to find people's email addresses by you. You just. Google search using the the website and you see if you can find anybody else's what the do they do first letter of first name dot last name do they do first name last name no space in between and I think I found I, I think I found just doing you know basic uh, basic internet sleuthing pretty awesome about when was that because like that's I mean that's like a skill that I think a lot of people had to work on like later but it feels like you did that early I I do a little I dabble a little bit in 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 the internet I try to I try to be internet savvy <laughs> with stuff uh, 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 it's just a language you know the internet and the connections it's just another you know, once you learn different vocabulary you can figure stuff out nice so um I guess for the the final question uh, you previously cosplayed your character Dr. Stein from Soul Eater at uh some conventions and I was curious what sort of endured you to that character to be willing to make make sort of a cosplay based off of him I first of all I didn't have to make the cosplay so some fans made the cosplay for me so that made it much easier because I am not a costume maker I'm I'm not the best at making costumes and made it easier. And and why Stein? That that Stein was a very popular character with with my fans. He was he's super cool. He's probably one of the most fun characters I've had. He's he's he, he a big journey, a big arc. So and getting to go to a panel in the audience, I because I went to this big panel. It was like it was like me and I forget who Steve. Somebody, it was a big panel of like hundreds of people, and I just came in with the audience. And and when they were like, "Chuck's not here," where's Chuck? I stood up and went, "That guy's a jerk." And then everyone was like, "Yeah, <laughs> hey, you're wearing your play." So that was it's amazing. It's been awesome um, hearing all the all the cheers and stuff. It doesn't it doesn't get old to have people yell and scream for you? It 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 doesn't feel bad. Uh, the side of it is sometimes they don't sometimes they're just tired and and you have to your ego has to be able to take that too when when there's only four people in your panel as opposed to 400 you you have to give the same amount of effort uh either way so you know it all balances out in the end gosh you know that's that's definitely a great philosophy to have sort of you know whether you're entertaining four or four thousand you know you gotta keep that same energy you know in my, earlier in my career, I would have been I would have been sad to only have, have you know four or five people in a in a panel. Nowadays, if that happens, I'm like, whoo, pressure's <laughs> off. Let's just chat, <laughs> and I get to just kind of chill and hang. Yeah, you know. just kick your shoes off and have a nice little uh, discussion. 
Nice. Um, uh, wait. Uh, uh, I, I know we said that was the last question, but I actually have one very short one and then one that I think is a good place to leave off on, uh, if you wouldn't mind me slipping that in. Um, the first one is, like, obviously I know, uh, Chuck, that you didn't write Yu Hakusho, but uh, as you're probably well aware, a lot of fans like, have suppositions regarding uh, Hiei and Kurama and, uh, you know, sort of ship the two of them whether or not it's, like, serious. Um, was that something that you and John and the cast as a whole ever, like, really talked about, talked with, engaged with, even if it's, like, not necessarily there in the text? Like, was that something you guys investigated? Something that came about after we had finished recording, and it, we then fans were telling us this was a thing and we were like really that's not what we thought we we're like we didn't think that at all uh you know once fans do it you're like oh, okay i see why they think that they want to think that that's cute but i think that i i don't i don't keep it from fans i always ma- i used to make a joke that i would call john bergmeyer late at night and be like karama i'm waiting for you and john stop calling me i never really did that but it'd be funny if i did Never too late, right? Um, well, here's uh, here's the one that I kind of wanted to, to end on. And it's a question I've asked uh, a lot of people when doing interviews. It's uh, basically, is there anything that you wish people would ask that no one does that you would just want to tell people? Like, what is the ideal question you would want to ask to you? No, there's, 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 you know, there's two different ways because there's, there's sort of the interviews and they want to, we cover a lot of same stuff in a lot of the interviews and that's obvious because the fan base wants to have certain questions i you know i i would talk about hiking for hours i would talk about uh cryptocurrency and 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 uh, i i have a panel uh, called the fringe where i talk about all things conspiracy theory i i could talk about conspiracy theories for for hours and hours and hours i actually i have designs on on making some videos on some of the stuff i do in the fringe panel uh, but yeah, that, there's lots of talk. I'm I'm currently learning Spanish. Uh, my ham radio license. Um, you know, I, I have I I have all the interests in the world. All right, so you got to drop your call sign once you get that ham license. I'll see if I can. Uh, I get you. Are you a technician class? Are you? Uh, I I, d- I dabble him there. I used to. My grandfather and I used to do it when he had it. I don't I don't think I ever got my license and if I did I'd probably have to reget it. But uh but you yeah, know I've done it before but I'd love to But yeah if you if you have your call, if you when you get your call signed you should definitely hit me up and I'll see if I can get you on the uh, the frequencies. I don't think we're too far away but figure it out. The way yeah. ham radios work it, it, it we could connect. Yeah, I just got to I, I think I just got to find room to set up an antenna cuz need to get one of those wire sort of the wire ones. And I don't know how safe it would be to set one up in my house, or like in my room, if that, that would even work. Nice, nice. Well, it's good to know that I'm surrounded by Renaissance people. <laughs> it's fun it's stuff. Yeah, but uh, thank you very much, Chuck. This was uh, a really good time, and I'm glad to have uh, learned some interesting stuff about parts of your life I had no idea about before, even with the copious research I did. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, did you uh, have anything to plug uh, before we headed out? 
if uh, if you are ever interested in classes or private lessons, just email me at fireflyworks at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter. I, I think I'm Chuck underscore Huber or Charles Cody Huber on Facebook. I can't remember. But you can Google me, find me pretty easily. But my email is where I do most of my classes through. So fireflyworks at gmail.com if you're interested. Sweet. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, Chuck. We really appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, as big EU Hawk Show fans, it's great to sort of sort of talk to the voice behind, I guess, one of some of our favorite character or one of our favorite characters uh, after, I guess, all these years of watching it, like when you're younger. Thank you. Do it again once the OVAs come out. We can we can we chat about the OVAs and see see what we think about them. Oh, I would love that. And hopefully some of our cast members who are normally on the show but had technical issues could join or could sub in for me or however we could organize that because they would probably love to speak with you. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun doing like a... I don't know if you ever watched The Walking Dead, but sort of like the the Talking Dead sort of thing. For sure, we could do that. Yeah, well, thank you. Sounds good. Have a, have a great day, right? And uh, thank yeah. you for listening, guys. Hey!